Hey, what's going on? <laughs> what's up, guys? It's the Blue Collar Philosophers. I'm Kickstan. That's Biker Mike from Mars. And uh, we're being joined by a first-timer today. First time. Uh, yeah, you. we haven't even talked about you. Some people we bring up randomly. We haven't even brought you up. Be gentle. It's my first time. <laughs> you ever done a podcast or anything like that? No, I have avoided public appearances <laughs> and all social media, everything. I'm just a total recluse. Wait. Like that's all smart. social media. All like there, there's snippets of me on Facebook from my wife, and that's about it. How old are you? Uh, Thirty-four. So good you, for you. you. you didn't even like good job. Did you get MySpace back in the day? No, no. Like I think the the biggest <laughs> outreach I ever did was like Facebook in high school, basically, and then you just abandoned it. I did. I quit cold turkey. I got the sweats. I just gave it up, man. I was just <laughs> like, man, I've had enough of this. You see, I went from MySpace to Facebook, and then uh, I stopped there. I tried getting on Instagram, didn't care enough. I, I same, same. looked at Twitter and the fact that people were taking something called a tweet seriously. I'm like, no, yeah. I'm, I'm good. What What is Twitter? I've never used it, never seen the platform. <laughs> I saw Instagram a couple of times. But I'm you like, know why do we of need it. This? Of it. Like, only because Elon Musk bought it, you know. <laughs> Just because of the white rage that went with Elon Musk. I, I think it's hilarious from a comedic point of view like it's yeah. it's just fun to watch people rant and rave because the only thing i've ever seen in twitter is like whatever comes up on fox news or mm -hmm. yeah the outrage spawned by donald trump or something like that but that's that's all I've ever which seen. is all hilarious to me oh, oh I, yeah i signed up for twitter nine years ago really like you were I an spent, early adopter i spent basically a half hour on it and said nope <laughs> never went back Never went back. Nope. I think I technically probably still have an account. <laughs> what was your unless tag? I don't even remember. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't log into it if I tried. Oh, nine years ago, that would have been pre-bike. Yeah. Like that would have been right before we started really riding. It was like it was the new thing. I was like, oh, okay, let's see what this is all about. And then it was like, no, no this is this is weird. I don't like it. I don't like this. I don't yeah. like this. It's it's just another thing to clutter my mind. Um, pass oh, wow like do you ever notice how people just get so outraged by anything printed up on the thing it's just like really like since when was getting offended like anything important mm. they, used to, they used to just call you thin-skinned if you just got offended easily it's like oh they're, they're just being a wimp yeah they're thin-skinned they can't take a joke and now it's like no you are a special kind of person oh man <laughs> if, you, if, if you get offended you have power now there's power in offense because now you can expect the world to change because you're offended. And it's so foreign. Once you've once you've worked in the oil patch any length of time, yeah. I mean, you're, you've got elephant hide on your back. Like, you're just bulletproof. Oh, yeah. Right? So all this stuff just bounces off you, and you're just like, why? So why? Like, why I, got my, I got my ears pierced way back in the day. And I have had, I don't wear earrings anymore because sure. it's not worth the effort. <laughs> Anyways, this guy noticed, and he started trying to make fun of me. I'm like cute yeah that's a good job like you pointed out that i have earrings that's an oh like you're fucking genius and it's just like, really sarcastic right and he was like uh fuck you <laughs> it was but he, they're testing right they're checking okay where are you at looking for the weak where, yeah this is like, where's yeah. your weak spot <laughs> yeah where All are right. we gonna get a rise out of you oh. yeah and i was just, i was just like no man you're not here <laughs> oh dude like i i work with a guy that uh Younger guys, he's like he's in his forties, and younger guys in their twenties always like to play gay chicken with him in the oil patch. Oh, gay and, chicken! And this guy has no yeah. That's so that's where you're sitting next to a guy, and you put your your hand he, on his oh, knee, dude. The other guy hand on your knee, and yep. you just 
just slowly go who, further up to th- up the thigh to see who can who can jerk each other off. Again. Yeah, and that's, no, you're gay. No, you're gay. <laughs> and that's putting it real mildly with this guy. And I warn lots of young guys. I'm like, don't do this. Don't play chicken with this man. Guy. Like, I'm not even going to repeat what he's done. You know, like, I mean, the last real don't tease me with a good time. The last real good one. That's like it's arrow. not gay if it's ironic. <laughs> The it's not la- if you both love Jesus. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Brought in the G-Bus. <laughs> oh, poor baby oh, Jesus. Oh, that's a shout out to Jarrett. Jarrett, love oh, you. Miss you. Man. No, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> the last guy, it's like the like the more tame of the stories. He, uh, uh, my, my buddy comes up to me and says, hey, I need, a, I need a picture of that guy. So just go over there, put your arm around like we're taking a picture of both of you. Yeah. And I, I don't know what he's going to do at this point, right? So I wander over and they're like, hey, let's get a picture, you and I. So we get a picture. Buddy snips it out, uh, snips me out of the picture. So it's just a face of him, right? Later on that day, he's <coughs> this young guy's still playing gay chicken, thinking he's going to win this game. And then lo and behold, Buddy pulls out his cell phone and has whipped up a grinder account. <laughs> With this kid's name, we've got his phone number, right? But we have, but the, here's the real funny part: we have the joke of being able to control this thing, and he doesn't have any say over it. <laughs> yes, yeah. And you just see him, like all the all the ego just pouring out, and he's just like about to cry. He's like, "You don't know who you're messing with, man." <laughs> Yeah, you literally oh, wow. made him oh, cry. Oh, you almost made him cry. And like <laughs> a few days later, Charlie and I yep. spotted him outside of a gas station. And Charlie looked down and said, "What a punk! Look at that kid." And I told him this story, and I said, "Hey, that's that's the guy." And Charlie's like, "Do you want me to go in there and say, hey, I recognize you from somewhere?" <laughs> <laughs> He oh, was totally going to so go in there and funny. do it. I was like, that poor kid. He'd probably go hang himself or something. All right, that. kid, really, really quick. I just got to say this. N- nobody knows it's you. We're t- you might hear this. <laughs> Don't think. N- everybody knows now. <laughs> nobody knows. Nobody outside of the chill, circle. <laughs> laugh. We don't know your name. I don't know what you look like. No name. Fucking chill. No hanging yourself. You yep. coward. <laughs> <laughs> Lesson to be learned, kids. Don't play gay chicken. <laughs> Not in the oil field. Anyway. Not in the no. oil field. Yeah, you're, you're there, playing with this, fire when you do that. Save that shit for Bible school. <laughs> there is a whole podcast for you guys, and you could just call it Stereotypes. And I'll bring you some of the biggest characters you'll ever meet. We're well, we're two white guys, and we have a podcast. We're the walk. We're walking. We're the stereotypes. No, no. Well, well it, it's just like every like when they when they say like you know like pipe fitters, welders, electricians, oh, and yeah. you know all the jokes that go with it. Oh okay, yeah. This yeah. guy is a walking encyclopedia of of these jokes. I mean, we had an electrician walk up to the door of the truck. He rolls the window down. The guy says. This this isn't quite right, and he says, "No, you're wrong." And then just rolls the window back up. The guy's still standing <laughs> out there, and I'm just like, "What did what did I miss?" He's like, "Oh, well, he's a chicken, an electrician, you know." Yeah. And I'm like, uh, "And he's like, well, they they sit down to pee, Ben. I mean, like, what more do you want me to say?" And I'm like, <laughs> "It's convenient." I'm, okay. I'm like really confused. I'm like, "Did did did that guy like do something to your truck or like like what what did that?" Poor kid. He's like just, 20 years old and he just, just like, an electrician. Just slams it on him. And I'm like, what the heck just happened there? Like, I'm totally in the dark. Nothing. Just stereotypes. 
That's it. That's Electrician. so great. Electrician. Electrician. That's Sparkies. it. Yeah, that's oh, it, man. Oh, yeah. I, I've met a few. Oh, <laughs> I hate to say they fulfill this self-fulfilling prophecy of electricians are dumb or just useless. You, yeah. Not all useless. <laughs> you we, were thinking it. Yeah. No, it, because in the, in the realm of construction, my my profession sits at the bottom end of the stereotype totem pole. Yeah. <laughs> Chucking <laughs> mud. <Right>. Well. <laughs> oh, no. We're, we're all, like, sketchy meth heads. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. A lot. Of, a lot. I am... Oh yeah, I am a drywaller, and I and I still hold to those stereotypes. So when people ask you that question, like, what do you do for a living, right? What do you immediately tell them the truth, or do you do like I do? Unless they're unless they're well, (laughs) unless they're in the trade, like in like unless they're uh, in construction. In construction, I just say I'm in construction. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. That's fair. If if they're in construction, then they're like, which part? God damn it. Oh, damn Narrow it. Narrow it down. See, I, I have a solution to this problem because it comes up occasionally. You know, I meet women. When I was single, this came up all the time. Women always want to know, what do you what do? What do you do, yeah. And, of course, God forbid, you want to tell them the truth about what I do for a living. You might as well say you're an abortionist, right? Or, you know, s- something equivalent. So I, I have a much catchier way of breaking the ice, and I mm-hmm. just respond, I am a piano player in a whorehouse. <laughs> <laughs> That is a far step up from a welder in the oil patch. I'm just saying. I mean, like, I don't know. Back in the day, though, <laughs> if you said you were a welder in the patch, you you couldn't beat them off with a stick. I know, but you know, but what? times have changed. Like, even my own mother is so ashamed of me. She tells people I'm a drug dealer. You know, she's just like. <laughs> It's easier. <laughs> it's just easier. She's like, what does your son do? Like, God forbid she would ever tell anyone what I actually do. It's like, think of the shame. <laughs> the dirty shame of having a dirty fucking welder in your family. Exactly. It's, like, you get it. Your ancestors like, are with, rolling over in their in graves. Their graves. With that being said, I've met a lot of welders, and 90% of them are assholes. They are. It's a prerequisite I don't for know, the job. I blame the smoke. I really do. The there smoke inhalation. The smoke inhalation <laughs> from brain those damage. rods it is, is just making such, people fucking tarred. It is such a <laughs> thankless job that you know what? You wouldn't really want to waste good human beings on it. Like honestly, <laughs> like what? Like really? It's like you could have been a doctor. Why are you doing this? You know? It's like well, the uh, money was good, so is the doctor. Think yeah. of the prestige. You walk into the building with a bag and say, "I'm a doctor," and the yeah. people will immediately move out of your way. Yeah. If you say I'm a welder, they'll t- ask you to leave or pay your tab. <laughs> yeah. Get the fuck out. <laughs> exactly. That, that Un- happens unless, all unless the time. Unless they need something, and then they're like, "Oh, a welder." You say. Well, it's kind of like bikers. You know, like you you guys can have the sentiment. You ever gone to a hotel in in your like dirty riding gear? This yeah. happens to me once in a while. And they just look at you, and all of a sudden, the price tag on the the window for what a room is. Instantly turns into 250. Instantly bumps up. Yeah, you're like, what? Oh, you're like, oh yeah, it's me. <laughs> I don't have that. It's never happened to I, you? I am the most polite person in the world. They're like, oh, you're... Like, I can appear really nice. I, <laughs> but at the same time, I... I, I I got, look one way. I'm like, hey, how's it going? I, I've got both things going against me. One, I'm a welder, <laughs> and two, I'm a biker. Yeah, and, and I look like both, and it doesn't help. Yeah. It really doesn't. I've got yeah. some really good stories about like riding down Edmonton for welding tests on the bike, and oh, mm-hmm. just oh man, just the gong stars. Like, what a, what a hard trip. A hard way to do anything is being a biker. Yeah, it's just yeah, like, yeah. It's like because you, normally you're traveling in a self-contained bubble. You have comforts. You have you know, uh, 
climate control, you have drinks. Yep. Nope. Radio. And you just take all of the things that make traveling places easy and don't do them. Yeah. 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 And, and, and then you show up looking like a dirt bag and, and oh, yeah. wonder why. Just a greasy, yeah. and you, greasy, and you feel pool tired. You're wind, you're wind worn. Yeah. Your beard's all disheveled. Your hair is a mess from the helmet. I mean, like, what, yep. what else you got going against you? And, and the fact that you just look like, <clears throat> like you just crawled out from a semi truck. You're just like, yeah. well. I felt that coming back when I went, to, when I got down to Chilliwack. Like, Chilliwack's yeah. so pretty and it's great, but I just look like a bag of smashed ass. And then oh. you show up there and you're like, huh? <laughs> And you're uh, paradise, except me. Give me your shower. Uh, I, I actually showed up to the Boilermaker Hall uh, the night before. I was going to do uh, a test in the morning. And uh, I went to uh, the Doubletree by Hilton. And they took a look at me, and they just said 240 a night. And I just knew. I was like, okay, see ya. So I go up the, the street, and there's an Aladdin motel. Mm-hmm. Right? As I'm pull- sketchy. It sounds sketchy. <laughs> Look, it, whatever's in your head, that's it. Um, I pull up to this thing on my bike. I just got my little bike out there, and I'm, it's dark. I was like 9 o'clock at night, right? And as I'm pulling in, there's a cop cruiser in the parking lot, and up on the second floor are two cops walking down down the you know the, the eve, right? Well, the prices should be good then. Oh, man. <laughs> and I like I usually never talk to cops. Like, I just never do, especially when you're riding a bike. They just, yeah. They're just like, oh, man, they want trouble. But they're city cops, and that's even more worse yeah and i look up pull off my helmet and i'm like hey is this hotel any good and he looks at me looks at the bike and says oh no man you don't want to park here he's like that bike will be just a heap of nuts and bolts by morning <laughs> and i'm like oh man so i kind of explain what i'm doing there and whatnot we're, he's a pretty friendly guy right you know he's like oh yeah i get it, i get it right as we're talking this door opens from a room and this crackhead comes out and he starts yelling at the cops saying, you got to help me, man. They, they stole all my crack pipes, all my paraphernalia, all my pot pipes, <laughs> everything. And like, without even like, but like, like this is happening, right? This is such He's a... He's asking the cop for help <laughs> yes. to get his drug paraphernalia. Yeah, and I, like, <laughs> they stole my drug. <laughs> and I just look, like him and I both simultaneously turn to look at him and say, shut up. Turn back and continue on our conversation like nothing had happened. You found some common ground with some cops. Yeah, like you, we both you, you don't can get like the fuck them. out now. Yeah, like like <laughs> and the horse you rode in on, right? Like man, yeah, it was terrible. All right, we gotta pound. We gotta pound some <coughs> subject. Otherwise, we will sit here and just talk bikes and shit the whole time. And I guarantee you, we there will come a day. But we we got another one. We gotta record right after this. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So we actually got to pound some shit. Double stack like a London bus. All right. There's something that has been grinding your gears, and you don't feel like it's getting enough attention. Hold on. One second. Huh? We haven't actually said his name yet. Yes, you did. You said Ben. Did I? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, whiskey just straight to your head. Yes, I've had several sips. Several sips. <laughs> several sips. Several sips. That's a pretty empty looking glass there. <laughs> you don't fill a whole glass of whiskey into that drop. Hey, I've been sober a year. It's don't tell me how to drink. <laughs> All right, Ben. <laughs> Something's been grinding your... Congratulations on your sobriety it's for a year. <clears throat> sobriety. Oh. No, it's good. It's good. It's, it's been good. a great year. It's been yeah. a great year. Lots, uh, lots I'm in a month and I can't like wait for next really week. you really believe yourself. <laughs> no, well, dude, the first two months, you just... Everyone wants to kill you and you want to kill everybody. And then after that, it starts to pick up. But hey, I've been sober a year. I'm married. I have a kid on the way. I've got a, a business that's thriving, a welding truck in the driveway. Like, yeah, quitting drinking was good. It, well, long overdue. But, good for you, man. Right on, man. Yeah, it probably won't be as good for you. but. Uh. <laughs> 
He took time lightly. Very lightly. Okay, no, no. If he wanted to become more efficient, he'd be like, I think I'm going to pick up some meth. I'd get a lot more jobs done. I'd be awake all the time. That's why drywallers do it. (laughs) (laughs) The drywall jokes. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, so the of the two days a week that they do work, they're really fast. <laughs> Is that a whole house in that time? <laughs> wow! Oh, I got a. I'm working on a big house right now. It's so fucking annoying. Okay. All big. right. So we were talking about. Uh, yeah. What grinds your you? You got something that's that's not getting enough attention, or at least the proper attention <clears throat> that you think it deserves. Yeah, and it's it's it just kind of like hit me over the head recent it wasn't something like i really wanted to talk about and i've i've been avoiding like podcasts and everything fearing the boogeyman of the government and everything yeah, else them. but it just got to a boiling point and i'm just like oh man i gotta like talk to somebody about this so i did i picked up the phone and called our buddy dustin right yeah you know, you've had him on the podcast real intelligent guy and charlie flowers he's a pretty smart guy too and uh, it's basically, um, there's a program in Canada called MAID, and it stands for... M-A-I-D. Yes, and it stands for Medically Assisted in Dying, okay? <coughs> and the program uh, I was made aware of by a medical profession years ago, a couple years ago, and I didn't really give it too much thought or, or anything. And then, of course, you know, I was just scrolling through the news, and then I, you know, I'd seen this thing about a veteran being offered this medical assistance in dying because he had problems, and rather than anybody helping him, they just offered him a way out, right? Now, of mm-hmm. course, this gandered a lot of media attention. And then there was another sickly old guy who was low on rent money, and he was considering doing this. Now, luckily for both of those cases, the public outcry was positive. Wait, did you say he was low on rent money? Yes. And therefore was considering... Well, he was depressed because he was poor. Well, I mean, this guy this guy is on, med- like, assistance for living, right? Yeah. I mean... Was and, it offered or did he seek it out? Uh, he, he, I think, I don't know how he got to that point. Um, I know that his rent was increasing. He's on a budget, right? Fixed income. He can't work. And, and this... this you know, bump in the road comes along and he doesn't, he's, his big fear was being homeless, not, mm-hmm. not of dying, but being homeless, you know, with ongoing medical problems. And I don't have to really explain to a lot of people how the cost of living in Canada has dramatically gone through the roof since COVID started. Mm-hmm. Right. Now those, those things really kind of irked me, but it also, uh, I, I, I sought out some, some people that were better educated in this. And I, I, you know, went to some medical professionals and said, hey, like, what is going on here, right? And it all harkened back to the question of what do you do to ease the suffering of a dying patient, mm-hmm. right? Now, this question is old as medicine or older than medicine itself, Right. This this is a question that's been going on since the Stone Ages. Yeah. Right. Like any any small tribe on the planet, every continent, every group of people, this question has always well, tried to figure out what do you do with the incontinent. Yes. Well, look at what they well they said they did. I don't know if it actually was a thing, but the, the ice floats. Ice, uh, ice floats. Yeah. You yeah. Just, yeah like, that, put them on the ice float and you just kick away. And that right. problem solves itself. Right. Uh, and, and unfortunately for the Western civilization, it has become a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. Right? Well, it's because the terms have changed, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it, it's been a raging debate uh, for many years, um, although the MAID program just kind of quietly showed up, right? Just like... Yeah, like, I, like, it's now been law in Canada since 2016. I did not know it became a law until literally within the last few months. 
Yes. Like, it just, like, it's just one of those things that just kind of like, oh, yeah, no, that's a thing now. Yeah. Now, this this whole thing in, in, in today's context came out of palliative care. Right, so palliative care is basically people with terminal ill cancer. Yeah, it's an end of life care. End of life care, and mm-hmm. it's it's a, a complicated. It, it's it's a lot of work. People that do it do it because they're passionate about it. Uh, the doctors and nurses, they're a team, right? And every day they have meetings saying like, "Oh, how's patient X doing? How's patient Y doing? What mm-hmm. are we doing to?" ease their suffering, make the their lives easier. Now, a lot of things have changed since in the last few years. I don't have to explain that with COVID. The healthcare system's under a tremendous amount of strain. Yeah, the healthcare system right now is fucked. It is, it is. Yeah. That's putting it mildly. Um, and politically, I mean, we're just not getting any funding or help from the federal government. And where this is going to kind of tie into is some of the stat numbers of this have come up, right? Now, Palliative Care took on this project as a pilot program, and I got some of the the facts about how it came into British Columbia. Now, it was a very narrow group of people who were ever going to even be offered this program, right? (coughs) And just so people are aware, it's not like they take an old person, line them up against a wall, and shoot them. No, it's... I guess relatively humane, like your yeah. Is it injection or is it something you ingest? So I I had asked that question. I was really curious about it. Now uh, there are two lines that go with this. There is a an injection, and there is also a pill, right? Now don't be alarmed. These medications cannot just be easily found across a counter on a street. Um, there are really stringent regulations on the. Uh, the handling and use and delivery of these drugs, like you just you just don't hand it to a doctor and he has it in his desk. That just doesn't happen, mm-hmm. right? There there was a, in the pilot program there were safeguard steps. Uh, like a doctor couldn't just ask for this stuff and just willy nilly do it at at ease. The whole thing had checks and balances. There were multiple levels of uh, of legal jargon that had to be accounted for. There were checks and balances. Like if the, for example, if the pharmacist who was handling the drugs for this particular um, uh, program suspected that the doctor wasn't mentally sound or wasn't doing good per patient basis, uh, they would refuse them access to the drugs. Like they could just say like, how are you doing today? Like, are you, are you okay? You have any problems or whatnot? They had to actually make sure that the doctor was a good, sane, solid mindset before they handed him over these drugs, right? Mm-hmm. And they had to meet every single time and do the same thing over and over again. So right? there was a certain level of due diligence. That was oh, and it, it was very well thought out. Obviously, a legal team thought this through uh, yeah. because they didn't want anybody getting sued or losing licenses. I mean, uh, there was a amount of paperwork that the patient's family, loved ones had to fill out, the doctors had to be able to prove. And all of this was supposed to be a last-ditch resort. Yeah, last-ditch resort. Like, there's no other There's no other option other than this person suffering for yeah. the rest of their days. And, and, and it had to be, like, an outcome of less than six months to live, and this person's in chronic pain the whole way through, right? They weren't just going to give this to you if you're like, oh, you know, you... You, you know, like, it's just not looking good. You might be here for two years, three years. It wasn't for that. It had very, very stringent regulations. Um, that's putting it pretty lightly. There, There is a ton of paperwork. And at any given point, the program, like, if you were an applicant on that list, at any given point, if somebody found a discrepancy, 
you didn't get the the outcome, mm-hmm. right? And then that it could just be pulled for any old thing. Um, and it had like talking to some professionals, it had some really good promising outcomes, right? It did alleviate pain and suffering. You know, they they weren't using it willy nilly. Like they the the teams that were involved with it were looking at it like this person is dying and they are suffering hard and they just they want this to end, right? But the person also had to be sound of mind, like they had to cognitively make this decision for themselves. And it was a last ditch in the sense that uh you know, the medical system could not provide anything more for this patient, right? Mm-hmm. And again, like, it, it took a long time. Like, we, we talk about the start date being 2016, but this this has been going on for decades before that. And realistically, talking to yeah. some... Well, do- it's not the start date. That's just when when our country got to the point in the in the debate where they decided to accept the terms and make it legal yes now and it it went through it went through legislation it went through the courts there were devil's advocates there were uh, people that were against it and for it i mean if you go back to the early 1990 i think it was 1990 um you could uh I think his name was Dr. Jack Kevorkian. Kevorkian, yes. I've heard yes. lots about it. I've, everyone's <laughs> I've heard lots about Mr. Kevorkian. Yeah, they nicknamed him Dr. Death, and yeah. he's famous for the suicide machine. There's yeah. an excellent... Oh, I think he even at one point called it the death matic Yeah. Like, and which is a fucking awesome... It, like, without going... That oh, would make yeah. a great death metal band name if you had, like, a really cheesy... <laughs> well, you know what's funny about all this is that, yeah. like, you know, like, MJ and Dustin, obviously, they, they've been in a series of, like, punk rock and metal bands, yeah. and we, we always threw out, like, we, years ago, we well, we were all drinkers, and we used to come up with who could come up with the most offensive, like, band name or title or tour sort of thing, uh-huh. and, of course, like, Toxic Playground Assisted Suicide Tour, you know, like, that, that, was, a, that was a joke, right, until... Mm-hmm all of this conspired and now it's not funny because it's true. The thing is that it's a joke that's being taken very seriously. Like this was supposed to be a joke. This was yeah. this was supposed to be the, oh yeah, maybe if we, some dystopian society end game. And now it's like, no, this is our society now. This, yeah. this, is, this yeah. is where we're at. Well, and, and, and on, that, on that note, um, this, like if you're any kind of student of history, now like myself and Charlie we're both like history buffs, right? But mm-hmm. we don't like mainstream media. Like we like to hear some of the other background stories of things, you know, like everybody knows about D-Day yeah. landings in Normandy Beach, but it's the side stories that we want to read yeah. about, you know. and The side quests. The side quests. Uh, one of the things that was brought to my attention years <laughs> ago was of a program called Acton T4. It's basically Action T4. And it, it, it started in about 1938, and this is during the the Nazi regime before they had done the blitz across Europe. Mm-hmm. And it was between uh, a group of doctors and eventually um, Adolf Hitler himself. Um, I believe the guy, uh, Karl Brandt, was basically the mastermind, the guy that got it going. And it was what you call a forced euthanasia program. Yeah. Right. Sorry, you said forced. Forced yeah. euthanasia. Right. Okay. This this wasn't an option. This is not like made. Right. Yeah. This was a racial cleaning um, uh, tool that uh, doctors and nurses used. Now, these this wasn't like bald headed SS Gestapo guys pulling this off. 
This was doctors and nurses working under the health authority. Yeah, regular professional people. Regular professional people. Like th these are not monsters. These these are just health health workers, right? And basically, it was a forced euthanasia program to clear out um, the disabled, mentally ill, um, basically anybody on the list of like not pure German poster boy. Also, they were kind of a drain on society too. They were a leech on the economy. Like, yeah, I want to put a pin in that. <laughs> yeah, come back to it. Oh yeah, I know. So like, and, and there, there's record of this. <clears throat> you can go online and, and find the the sub Utamensch kind of propaganda things that they use to kind of justify their actions. They did put a price tag on on what a special needs person cost the German people every year. It was like fifty thousand Deutschmarks back then. That was a lot of money, right, mm -hmm. per person. Yeah. And their justification financially was, wouldn't that money be better suited for you? Now, this ties in later with some of the other things I'm going to tell you. But this program ran from uh, 1938 to 1945 after the uh, the liberation of, of Germany and all the other countries. Okay, so after the war ended yet? Yes. Like, doctors were still pulling this off right up to 1945. Like, you know, the, the, the banners were down, the war was over, and they were still yeah. doing this. So that wasn't, that wasn't a... Hitler's political ideology, that was a cultural I ideology that transcended the war stuff. Yeah, a lot of it goes back to, like, some of the Prussian kind of influence of Germany. I mean, like, that, that goes right past World War One. Yeah. Um, with, with a lot of that racial kind of cleansing sort of stuff. Um, all in all, they killed between 275 and 300,000 children, special needs kids, these were unarmed people. None, none of these people, these people were like literally in institutions and hospitals, and they cleared out like 90,000 beds in a few months. Right? And, and, and it. Well, think just, of the economic boom yeah, that I mean, would come from not having to put money into something like that. Well, there's, there's also a little, little bit, it's well documented, that Carl uh, Brandt actually uh, wrote to Hitler saying, hey, I, I want to off uh, a little boy that's born defective for these parents. Can I get permission just to do this one job sort of thing? And Hitler gave him the go-ahead. And this is in 1938. Yeah. He wrote again to Hitler saying, hey, we could put a program in to, to racially cleanse this place. Hitler responded back saying, you'll never get away with that kind of program during peacetime. Now, what the, guy, what the doctor didn't understand was that Hitler was already planning the invasion of Poland three mm -hmm. months later. Uh, basically, as soon as that <laughs> war fired off, uh, he got a, a go-ahead, like from from the top from Hitler, saying, "Get on it! You, you got you got some time. You better hurry up." And here's your here's your window where the public eye is elsewhere. Yes. Now, and and that's important in the context of today because the public eye is elsewhere. Yeah, it's every it's seven ways from Sunday. Exactly. It's constantly looking south over the okay. border, looking so, at America. <clears throat> Okay, so w w I guess we've got some context of what kind of thing can be done looking at Germany at this time. Yeah. How does that apply to Canada? What's, because going, what's like going on now? the last thing you said, you were saying that the rules that we had set in place made it very difficult for people to get this made service. Okay, <clears throat> okay. So, um, look, looking at this... Um, there, there, there are some numbers that we have to really consider here. Um, this this whole operation got the legal go ahead in 2016, right? Yeah. And it was it was under scrutiny from a various bunch of organizations, right? Like you know within the government itself, the healthcare medical profession, board of ethics, all these sort of things, right? 2016, 1,018 recipients 
were made of this program. Is right? that BC or is that that's Canada? Canada that's wide. Canada that's Canada wide. Canada wide. Okay. That's a thousand people. Now remember, it's we got what thirty six million people in Canada. Yeah. That's that's not a lot of terminally ill patients when you really think about it. Province to province, mm-hmm. right? And we got an aged population going on, right? Yeah. Lots of cancer, that sort of thing, and yep. that's who we're kind of thinking of right now. Um, by 2017, the number went to 2,838. It's not bad, still. Still not bad. 2018, the number went to 4,480. So another 100% increase. Okay. By 2019, it was uh, 5,661. By 2020, it was 7,603. And by 2021, it was 10,064. Yeah, so with a grand total right now of it, just over 31,000, right? Yes. So it more than it, it 10 times the original number, okay? And this this isn't yeah, in a decade. It, 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 from, it, it, two, from 2016 gap. to 2021, it multiplied S- by 10. Yeah, and that's 6 years like for everyone paying not <coughs> paying attention. So the like they said it's 31,664 total deaths by 2021. <coughs> that's not including last year. Yeah. Right? So you, you don't have... It's a pretty sharp escalation. Yeah, it's a bell curve. It's not even a slope. It's a bell curve, right? It, mm-hmm. It's it's quite quite the thing. Now, given any other program, right, if you are curing AIDS or anything else, um, yes, you're going to see a bell curve when people get wind that there's a miracle drug or a cure or something like that. So this, these are stats that could be believed, right? Mm-hmm. But we also have to take a with a grain of salt that this is deaths. Yes, this isn't cures, this isn't options, like this is death. Okay. And not just people dying from something, this is people asking to be and having somebody willingly put them down. Yes. Now there's also some other numbers that we should also throw in the mix here just to put into context. Suicide rates in Canada were 45 to 4,000 a year, right? Mm-hmm. 4,500, 4,000 every year. Holy shit. So Right? Okay. So this more than doubles people actually offing themselves. Okay. Okay. Now, something that should really alarm you is that let's say in 2021 I tell you the 10,064 number, right? <coughs> mhm. Where do you think the suicide rates were that year? I just don't know. Did, did they go up? Did they go down? I'd assume it went up. They stayed the same. Really? Yeah, you you would like some people like I for one thought. Well, if they're providing this medical service, that means mean there's a bunch of old guys not offing themselves with rifles at home. No, I I I don't believe that. I don't believe people who it's like gun ownership. The the people who want guns are going to get them. Yes. Yeah, and I agree. And I the people fully who want to do it law-abidingly are going to get them are going to follow the law. Yeah. Same thing with with suicide. Yeah. People who are going to do it are going to just fucking do it. Yes. And, and but, I mean, like, the people the, that, the, the, again, the people who want to follow the law, even to the nth degree. I'm, what I'm assuming from this number, though, is that anybody who is in the natural suicide, or not natural, like, no, so, so weird things. <laughs> on the course. On the course. The people who illegally kill themselves, <laughs> yes. I shall say, who, who don't do it the made way, I'm sure they went to, they went to, qualify for the maid service to begin with they're just the normal people who are depressed fucking shitty marriage things went bad at the job broke yep. depressed yeah. and 75 percent of the suicide stats that you're going to hear are males yeah. yeah 
Yeah, and what's more shocking about that is if you look at the stats for um, attempted suicides and like accomplished suicides, men more like almost landslide victory when it comes to successfully pulling it off. Right? Yeah. And we're, we're committed motherfuckers. Yeah, we yeah. are. Like women and, just looking for attention. Guys are like, no, I'm well, gonna fucking yeah, do and, this. yeah, and that's that's putting it mildly. Um, <laughs> I, I have I have seen the ugly ugliness of people who have survived yeah. uh, suicide attempts and, and, mm-hmm. and it's horrific. Like it's not even worth it's not Yeah, it's like not if, if you don't for, it's it's yeah, if you survive it, it's you're in for bad times. Yeah. You're scarred. Yeah. I, like I've you, seen yeah. some pretty just Either mentally or physically. Physically and, and mentally. I've seen I've seen it in its ugly, ugliness. Yeah, I mean, like, you can survive trying to shoot yourself in the head. Yes, you yeah. can. Yes, like, you can. That's, that's, that's not a guarantee. That's not like, a guarantee. Yeah, I, I, I've seen it. Oh. I don't recommend it. Like, I, I've talked to guys who are like, oh, man, put a gun to your head. I'm like, don't do that. No, no, no. Don't do that, man. Like, jump off a, a mile cliff before you do that. Like, geez. Not that I'm advocating for suicide. It's so much right? slower, though. The cliff. You got time terrifying. to think about it, right? But like, there, there's also um, a thing like the medical assisted in dying. Now that came to another question. Suicide is the act of intentionally killing yourself, right? Mm-hmm. That's you doing it, yeah. right? Euthanasia is the practice of ending the life of a patient to the limit of the patient's. To limit the patient's suffering. Yeah, so that's not technically it's not suicide then. That's murder. Well, and that, I that, mean, it's I mean, legal legal murder. Legal yeah, murder. So I mean, yeah, I guess yeah. euthanize euthanization would be the better word for it, technically speaking. Yeah, but yeah, that's why it's not. So it's not. It's that's why it's not called assisted suicide. It's assisted yeah. in death. Now, and there's a real play on words with that. Now, I, <clears throat> and, and what I've noticed in the last like oh, since 2015, is that the political language has really been altered and changed, right? To make things a little softer and sound more appealing. Like, no, it's not medical suicide. It's medical assistance in dying, right? Like, oh, dying is a natural part of life, whereas suicide is an abrupt end that's forcibly done by an individual and usually usually abrupt is putting it lightly. So what's... What's the underlying cause behind this, like, drastic bell curve? Well, as, as we kind of mentioned before, earlier on, um, the medical system is in a terrible state. Like, it, it is it is just a mess. You got huge layoffs of people during COVID that weren't vaccinated. You had huge resignation of healthcare workers who just couldn't take it any longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are just being treated like trash. And I hate to say it, that was a lot of women. Mm-hmm. Right and yeah, yeah. hats off to the men that are like but behind the, at, those women. At the same time, nobody in that kind of scenario fits the bill of six months to live, have all the checks and balances, <sighs> yeah, or anything like that. Right, so like there, so that, sh- that shouldn't that scope. shouldn't be the reason why that number's going up. Okay, but there's also uh, factors like um, if your budget is being slashed or not being increased, and the load keeps going up. Yeah. Right, there is a bean counting bureaucrat somewhere. That says, what is that injection worth as opposed to a month of that patient in a bed, right? Like, we all know about the bed count thing, right? Like, the hospitals don't have enough beds. They don't have enough staff, Yeah. right? Just like in the 1930s, there was a price tag attached to 
uh, Canadians that are sick in a hospital, right? We do, we do have, uh, what is it? it's not private health care, so it doesn't matter if you plan for yourself. Your government is flipping the bill sometimes for some of these, yes, for, and we, for the hospital system. We, we have socialized medicine for this very reason, and we all pay into it, and we all reap the benefit of it, right? Yep. Some use it more than others, and that's just a natural fact, yes. right? It's a sacrifice that Canadians, for, by most and large, have accepted quite and, well. Yeah, we, we make it for one another, but now the government's going saying, hey, this is costing us too much money, like they opted into it. Yeah. But no, Canada opts yeah. into this so, to a certain degree. So what you're kind of getting around to is that the bar is being lowered. Someone's cutting some corners, and I can I can put a number another number out there maybe that people would resonate better with. Last year... 13,000 Canadians died waiting to get surgeries or medical attention that would have saved their lives. And that number isn't complete because in provinces like Alberta, they don't keep track of that data. Mm. Right? That's not 13,000 people that died of COVID. These are 13,000 people that died from not getting... Died waiting for the help that they should have. Yes. Like they were waiting for cancer treatments, uh, liver (laughs) transplants, uh, like organ uh, surgeries. Like you just... The list goes on. And they can't can't afford to go somewhere else. Like some people, they can hop in a tray or hop on a plane, head to Mexico... Go get a surgery. Go get done. a surgery. Hang out there for six months. I know people that have done this. Oh yeah, because they oh, can yeah. afford to do they it. They can afford this. They can go there, get the proper surgery that they need for a very reasonable price. And and these people that are stuck in the Canadian system are being like, oh, there are treatments out there. We but just I can't. can't I can't them. afford. I can't afford to go there. Well, so hen- it's it's a victim of of, of uh, economics too for these people. Hence the the reason why the this discussion of this is being brought to blue collar philosophers like this is this isn't something that's going to affect the rich and the wealthy as much as it's going to affect blue collar working class people like we've we've all seen guys struggle financially in the last like three years i mean i Mm -hmm. almost went like completely tits up yeah you know uh it's it's yeah there's there's not too many uh you know granddads of, of, of wealthy doctors and stuff like that, they're going to be f- facing made down the pipe. It's going to be yeah. it's going to be guys who are welders, guys who are drywallers, guys army. who... Army. Yo, former army. Like, that is that is a big issue with the VA. Well, I guess we don't have it called VA here, but there are soldiers that are actually calling in asking for help, and they're like, hey, have you thought of made? Yeah. And yeah, it, that was actually a thing. Uh, I read uh, an article in December... Just this past December, yep. where somebody was let go from the Veterans Association because of four allegations of pressuring veterans into the MAID program. Yeah, and, you know, in a society that owes so much to our veterans, I mean, I've got a father-in-law that is a 21-year veteran of the Canadian Armed Forces. He was a, a, a tank um, driver. I mean, like, the guy had been to Bosnia for three tours. Back in the 90s, I mean, like, it was terrible, right? Yeah. And the guy suffers from PTSD to this day. Yeah. And, you know, um, they they didn't they never called him when he retired. They never checked up on him, right? And what a lot of people don't realize is veterans will reach out most of the time just once. Mm-hmm. And if you offer them something like made, you guarantee that guy is just going to wander under a truck or something like that on a highway. And that's, yeah. it, that's it. You've lost your chance. Like, it is so precious to... Well, he, he sees the option. He's like, oh, I could do that. Yeah. I could do... Why? Well, I don't need you to do this. I can do that. Yeah. Like, like screw you. I Like, you know, you've asked me to do terrible things in the past. I can do this now. Right? Yeah. Like, 
that that shouldn't ever be a a, a thing. But what I kind of suspect is that this wasn't just an independent, uh, once-off sort of thing, right? I believe that there's probably some pressure coming down from above on on some of the social workers and the Veterans Affairs people from above saying, listen, these guys cost us a lot of money. They're never going to integrate back to society. They're not woke like we are. Like these these guys got to go. Yeah. Like you know, I'm I'm t- I tend not to be terribly conspir- conspiratorially minded for bigger things, but on stuff on the scale like this, I can so see that yeah play out because yeah. like it's just I mean, like there's already this this thing where the veterans were pressuring the government for more support, yeah. and Trudeau just looked at the representatives and just said. I don't know what else to tell you, but we can't give you anything else. Yeah. Can't give no, you anything but they, more. But they literally pay off of people that were used to be well, possible terrorists. Yeah. yeah. Or $2 billion that goes to a company that's not even made yet. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, like, there's things like that that go on. You're like, wait. Wait. Our, the priorities wait. are so messed up. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, if you read enough history, like right now I'm reading, <clears> uh, um, there's a series of books. Uh, I, I kind of screw up the author's name, but... The title is The Gulag Archipelago. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. If you haven't read that, I suggest you do. Like, I'm reading uh, volume one. There's three books. Dostoevsky? Dostoevsky, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yep. I think so. Um, I could get that wrong. But anyway, I'm, I'm reading the first one, and it's it's depressing as all hell. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. like, oh my yep. goodness. Like, I, and I've read, like, Angela's Ashes, and that thing beats that thing out of the, out of the park, right? Um. You read about how history repeats itself, right? We got a left-leaning government that's totalitarianism, like the Soviet Union starting in like 1918, and the Red Terror that followed after the purges in 37. Yeah, you know, and like all of, all of these millions of people getting pushed out into Siberia to work themselves to death. You know, that didn't actually end until the death of Stalin in 53. Right, you, you read enough of these history books to see you can kind of re- you realize that the ground is the the garden is fertile for something like this to happen again. Yes, yeah. I and think that's probably the best way to think. Of it. Like, I don't think there's anybody a cabal out there be like, ha 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 ha, we really love killing people. No, as no. much as is is just like circumstances are p- pushing for are pressuring society into a position where it's time to make hard choices. And that gets on to another thing. So we've talked about veterans mm-hmm. getting the shaft here, right? And how outrageous that is, right? But there's another subgroup of people that are on the on the next list, I think. Because if history repeats itself, this should be pretty easy for anybody to imagine this. We have a homeless epidemic in the Lower Mainland. <clears throat> I mean, I don't know if mm-hmm. you guys have been down there in the last few years, I grew up on Vancouver oh, yeah. Island, right? I can remember seeing homeless people on Victoria, like a few panhandlers, like on the seaway. Like, and you see one every like 800,000 meters sort of thing, like one, right? My old stomping grounds are completely tent cities. Really? Right? In like Port Alberni, uh, Parksville, Victoria, Nanaimo, Lanceville. Never, I never got to go over in that area. No, never it, like it used to be like a retirement villa kind of central kind of place. Like you'd go down to Qualcomm Beach and never worry about like letting your kids loose or anything like that. It was a beautiful place. I go down there a few years ago with my brother and I'm like, what the heck is that tent city doing in a park downtown Parksville? Yeah. Like that doesn't make any sense. He says, Ben, they got to live somewhere. Right, and there's yeah. a safe injection site in Port Alberni, and there's always an ambulance parked outside of that thing. Like always, like yeah. my buddies, like I have pulled so many people off Main Street there 
to the sidewalk just just so they don't die in the street getting run over. Yeah. Right? And I'm just like, man, this is chaos. And, like, we look all up and down the western coast of North America here, and this is a huge ongoing problem. Yeah. My worry is that with, like, we, we should also add, come, I think, March of this year, there was framework in, in place to expand the MAID program, not just to terminally ill patients, right? But to those who are just mentally ill. Yes. There's, yeah, it, it was going to be expanded to include people who weren't just terminally ill, but had mental health issues. And there was no more definition to it other than that. Yeah. They're not saying, oh, well, you're a paranoid schizophrenic that tries to stab, you know, the healthcare workers every other day and you have to be in a straitjacket. They're not talking about that guy. They're talking about your friend that struggles with depression. They're talking about mm -hmm. your co your worker who's having a bad go with his marriage. You're talking about... Anybody that has borderline personality disorder. Bipolar. Bipolar. Uh, yeah. it, it's Any, Anybody who's going through that to the point where they're like, I just want to end it. I'm, you know, they, let's say they talk to a medical health professional and just be like, okay, like I'm sick of going through this. Like sign me up for the program. Yeah. Now, and that at that, at that point, like, you know, right now in Canada as a psychologist, if a kid tells you they're transgender, you yeah. have you have to affirm, yeah. yeah, right. Like you're pressured to not pressured, obligated. <laughs> yeah, sorry, obligated. legally obligated. Legally obligated. Yeah, you're obligated to affirm, not to do therapy. Yeah. So I can't see how that's really different than going to a medical health professional and be like, I want to die because I hate living like this. Who are they to tell you that you know if they can't? If well, they can't do therapy for people with other well, mental health crises, how how are they supposed to therapize you that if you don't want it? So we we touched briefly. They'd be obligated to to affirm. Yeah, we we briefly touched on 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 the notion that like you know okay this will be cheaper just to offer this program to people than treat their illnesses right from just a medical like you got cancer you got um, you know like an organ that's failing or something like that and how this could be used as a scapegoat. Right. We've also touched on how veterans can be used like like this could be used on veterans rather than pay them the money and look after them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. We could use this. The mentally ill thing, um, the scope of it is so wide. Now, originally they said you have to be a sane, stable mind to to apply for this. Well, if they're depressed or they're schizophrenic, no, how they, they, they can't do it. They like, cannot. Do com it. Come on. Like, yeah, then who's to who's to define that you're that you're of good mental health right right like, like i mean that's at that point you need a lot of you need a lot of work with that therapist to even like determine that right now in canada like and i can I, i'll bring this one up like if you're a gun owner right mm -hmm. and you have a buddy who's also a gun owner this happened to me right and your your shooting partner or something like that goes off the rails mentally Right, yeah. maybe maybe lost his job, maybe his girlfriend dumped him, something bad, and he's not in a good headspace. Yeah, you're legally required to do something, right? Yeah, like, I've 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 been there. I've I've called up somebody, be like, hey, you need to go get so and so's guns and get them now. Yes, yeah. like I've yeah. I've done, I've made that phone call. I've I've been that guy on the receiving end, being told go get those guns. <clears throat> yeah, right, mm -hmm. and it 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 ended badly. Like I'm, nobody died, no one got shot. Thank God. Yeah. But, you know, that person doesn't talk to me anymore. It's over, right? I haven't shot guns in, like, over three years. Yeah. Right? It, yeah. Like, the, 
you have a legal legal obligation to stop somebody from doing something stupid in that regard, but now they can just assign themselves to this MAID program, right? Now this was going to take effect in March, right? Luck, luckily, um, saner heads are prevailing. Um, the, the 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 therapists and the psychiatrists and the healthcare workers are like, you guys don't know what you're playing with here. There's going to be a tidal wave of depressed people. Well, yeah, you're totally opening up a Pandora's box scenario. I mean, it can sound a lot like hand wringing and worrying about slippery slope stuff, but you are opening up a Pandora's box of people to just self-determine that. I mean, like, and to me, like, that's one of the big things that I've seen argued about this whole thing is it's all about self-determinism. Yes. You know, like, who are you to say that you can't die? <laughs> you know, yeah, or I was like gonna, okay, I'm, I'm going to be the... <sighs> I know we switched roles. Sorry, we're switching. <laughs> okay. Why is this a bad thing? Why? why? You're you're taking. Oh, they are they are a leech on society. They are costing. Imagine tent city being gone. That problem. There's no longer going to be an ambulance just sitting there. There's not going to be all these tents. It would be they're an eyesore. It's a pain in the ass. These people. They are going through legitimate problems, even if it's not by your standard, by their own standard, mm -hmm. they're going through real hardship. We can't say that they're not because they're experiencing it in the moment and they self-identify as struggling. Mm -hmm. Well, I, th I think I can only speak for myself, right? And I, and I, I, I would say there is no part of this that doesn't affect me in a negative way. I have loads of family and friends who struggle with mental problems. I've got a brother that is uh, depressed. He's on his, he's getting kicked out of his house. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have uh, a, a brother that's like sluggy. He's in a hospital right now fighting for his life, mm -hmm. right? And I would be heartbroken if someone said, well, let's just, you know, give him the MAID program or something like that. And yes, Tent cities are an eyesore. <laughs> yes, all those are fair points. And they are mentally, but, they are and they're men mental and, illness. There. And they are mentally ill. And I would fight for anybody that said, I don't feel like living anymore and I don't have a reason to. If you called me tomorrow and said, Ben, there's a stranger here, you don't know him, and he can't find a reason for living and he's seriously considering taking this program, I would drop what I was doing and come find you and that person and I would sit there and talk with them and I would give them as many reasons as I could for the reason that I'm alive and that I try and I struggle. I mean, there isn't a point in my life that is easy. You know, I have been rejected by my family. I, I've been thrown out as a black sheep. I have had people turn their backs, say I don't want to be friends with you anymore. I walked away from a motorcycle club. You know, I've been through a divorce by 28. You know, I've been hired and fired by people that I trusted, you know? Like, I've been through the ringer, right? I nearly drank myself to death. And if it wasn't for the fact that my friends pulled me through this and gave me a, a legitimate reason for living, you know, I wouldn't be standing here to tell people, hey, you know what? Yeah, it's hard, but it's going to get better. It's never going to be easy. Life is just a struggle. And I don't think hell is a place that you go. I think it's something you carry, right? It's, it's totally up to you how much of it you want to pack around, right? Like like Dusty puts it to me. He says, yeah, Ben, your life isn't easy, but you don't make it easy. You always pick a hardship. Like you, you 
you befriend people with mental illnesses. You befriend people that are old and sickly, and you take care of them. Like I'm shoveling snow off Sluggy's, you know, porchway and fixing his car because he's crippled and fighting for his life in a hospital in Edmonton, right? None of this is easy. Yeah. But it's like, man, like, take the higher ground, grow some responsibility. I promise you, it's worth it. If okay. you can't do it for yourself, you could do it for someone else. Have you ever struggled with suicidal thoughts or tendencies? Yes. Yes. When I was a teenager, I recall standing on a trestle bridge at 14 and looking down thinking, you know what? I'm in an abusive home. I have a dysfunctional family. I hate life. I haven't got a single friend left. And I thought, you know, man, maybe this is just easier just to take an out. And a little voice popped in my head. And said, why don't you walk down to your local church and go, go, go talk to somebody. It was a short jaunt away. Mm-hmm. And I did. And there was somebody standing there and I said, come on in. Right? I got help. I got better. Mm-hmm. Like, my life hasn't been easy since that day. I've had loads, like I just said, I had loads of things go wrong. Everything you could do wrong, I've done. Well, the divorce is, is <laughs> it's right up there with, uh, what is it, bankruptcy? Bankruptcy. Bankruptcy and divorce yeah, are for, just for people. Oh, yeah. Suicide. Like, it, it, yeah. And like like I said, if it wasn't for my friends, I would have drank myself to death. Yeah, like, you would you would essentially would have been like slow suicide. It, it was. Yeah. It would have been a slow, painful death. And you know what? Uh, there have been times where, yeah, it was really hard and you just want to throw in the towel but for some reason, like, you know, the people around you make this life worth living. Like, I'm always happy to see Charlie or Dusty or MJ and all of those guys. They all quit drinking before I did. They all smartened up. They all sobered up. And I looked at them and like, man, my buddy MJ, you know, he quit drinking. I couldn't believe that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> MJ and I used to drink hard and I couldn't keep up to that guy. Like, I could, like, drink Ireland under the table. I mean, it was the insane. Like, jeez. And, like... I remember him saying, yeah, I'm done. Like, he, he quit a motorcycle club, he sobered up, and he started blacksmithing. He started getting more intelligent. Like, he, he, he's a smart guy. He started reading, he started... So he was be, he was being... What I can tell he was is he became more about, intentional yeah. about about understanding <clears throat> about and about... Like, yeah, like, yeah. He, like he, he changed, and I can't keep up to him. Like, I can't... Like, he just recently bought 20 acres on a farm. Really? Yeah, Fuck like, he's yeah. got a log cabin, a shop, and, like... like Good yeah, for him. Yeah, like, he's a totally different guy. Yeah. And I went to him, and I said, like, hey, man, like, I, I, like I, I'm a year sober. I don't know if I should like sit down have a drink or something like that and like of course like i think of mj like a big brother yeah like he, he's really a role like a, a, i mean he got me into motorcycles and a club and like really helped me out in life and when i was like down in the dumps and with my divorce like M- mj was there like with the arm down to pick me up yeah and like you know i remember having this like heart-to-heart conversation with M- mj and he doesn't talk much most days but like like, you, you see him, he's just shaking his head. He's like, no, Ben, like, for God's sake, don't don't drink anymore. Like, it's just, you've, you've come so far. Yeah. Like, he's just rooting for me hard. He's just like, don't do this. Right? Now, I think a big reason that I was surprised when I heard MJ quit was because of the reputation that preceded him. Yeah. It was, it was I didn't, I don't know him that well. I've mm-hmm. chatted with him a few times, but. He's, he's a. I don't know him, but he, I knew of him because other people like, oh yeah, MJ likes to smoke and drink. Like this yeah. guy is a drinker. Yeah. And. Like, 
Yeah, yeah that was it was almost like enough of an identity that other people made that his it, identity too. Yeah. But it wasn't negative. It was like, oh, this is just It was a negative. It was a very negative. Well, it wasn't being perceived as like, oh yeah, he's a pr- it's a problem. It's like, no, this is what he does. Yeah. And he's like, no. From what I could tell, he was like, no, it's time time to change. Yeah. And like when he did like his life just improved for the greater. Like he he pulled me out of a bad situation. Like you know, like he really pushed me to be a better person. And like you know he he he's like like he he's been like a friend for years. Like when I first moved up here, like till now, like he's he's really pulled me through some hard times. So when I hear like this quick easy exit out of life sort of thing, I'm just like man like. Look at how far Charlie, Dusty, and MJ and I have come. Like if we're if, if we can pull our lives together, like man, like I I've got such hope for the future. You know, like I would fight for anybody's life, stranger yeah. or not. Like if if they were walking into a doctor's office hoping to end it, I would be I would lay in front of a bus to convince you that this life is worth living. So I mean, if you're gonna what if you're in that situation, you're talking with somebody and they're just like don't listen like this isn't like you know this isn't a mental thing like i'm i am dying it's like and like i'm going to be dead in in a month one way or another i'd rather not either be a vegetable for that time or be in grueling 24 hours of you know a day of pain like at least let me go out with a bit of my own dignity yeah and and i i'm not against this program like i I just want to make that clear i'm not against people dying with dignity right um, one of the things that I've been doing the last few years is martial arts, right? And we can kind of agree on a few things on those fronts. Like, you remember, like, when a uh, when a samurai went out and offed himself for honor's sake, there's yeah. two steps to that process. One, he would take a knife and disembowel himself. And two, a guy would chop him, chop, chop his, his head, head right off. Okay, yeah. now, there's, there's some significance to that, because I did some thinking on this. One, the guy disemboweling himself committed to death and dying honorably. Yeah. And Two, the other guy there was as a mercy. As a mercy. As a, I respect the fact that you're in pain and I'm ending it for you. But he didn't do it with a needle. He didn't do it with a gun. No, he, he, he held the weapon. He, he held the weapon himself. Took now, responsibility for his action too. Now, I think there's something that a lot of people are comfortable with. Is the idea that these people are being not killed in that way. But with a needle in a bed. You know, with the music playing in the background, surrounded with their loved ones. You know, um, one of the one of the when I was researching this, uh, the medical profession I was talking to asked me, like, because I, I I said straight up, I was like, I'm taking a shit on this program, just so you know. Yeah. Right? You know, no, I'm, I, I, I'm I'm still shitting on it. Yeah. Right. You know, I'm I'm going to do this, just so you know. I'm researching to do this, and the question asked me was, okay, if your brother Charlie asked you to end his life, would you do it? On what grounds? Is that, I, it did, didn't matter. Like, he just could you do it? And I was just like, why? Why would you ask me that question? Like, the, this, like, this is my bro. Like, this is a guy I would literally give my life for. And you're asking me if I could do that? He says, could you do it? I said, I don't want to answer this question. It's like, too bad. You're going down this path. You want to talk about this? You want to shit on mm-hmm. it? Ask yourself, could you do it? And I said, I don't think I could do it with a needle. I think if I had to take my brother's life, I'd use my bare hands and I'd go walk into a cop shop right afterwards and admit it and take that. I'd go to jail for that. <coughs> but that's how I would go. Because, like... I'd bring his motorcycle. 
Sorry, man. You gonna Jax Teller me? Is no. that what you're saying? No, no, that was a that was a man. Low, bitch. low, low. No, no, because you want to die doing something you love. No, no, man. I, I'm yeah, not gonna shoot you ahead while you're doing your wife. No. So motorcycles the next thing. Next thing, right? <laughs> oh, right there, my pride and joy. Oh my god. Oh, well, my wife's gonna be so mad. I'm just like uh, the only reason I go there is because if I had to do, if you were like, hey, you gotta, you gotta take him out. I'm like, okay, how how could I do this, which would honor his life, that he would want to go that way? Like, <sighs> yes, I don't want to think that way, but hypothetically, if we're gonna go down that road, oh, man, like, uh, and put a timer on it because I can't. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's no that I couldn't push the button. It would be a, it would be a, I, I, I'd have to push the button three days ago. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, I actually had a conversation with a veteran, and he said, you know, Ben, I'd be scared to have you in a unit with me on the front line. You'd endanger yourself. And I said, why? He says, because you would do it. You would do terrible things if I asked you to. And I'm like, man, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be thought of as that guy. Mm. Right? And, like, this this guy was smart. Like, he'd been there. He'd done that. I'm like, man, if you can see that through someone like me. I've never wanted to join the Army. Yep. Right? Like, I've never been a fan of ending life. I, I try really hard to maintain the sanctity of it and give purpose to it. Because I believe life is important. Like, it's it's it. And ultimately, like this debate, if you can call it that, yeah, it, it comes down to how you view life and death. Like, do you view death as a kindness? Because <laughs> if if that's something it that can, you, it can be, yeah. It, but if if that is something where you're like, okay, I think I think ending your life is a kindness, then you can rationalize yourself to to do it, right? Yeah. Like, and at that point, I mean. Your your mind's already made up that you're going to, you know, philosophically find a way for for that to to work. Yeah. yeah. But what makes me scared is sometimes people don't know what's you know. You can get confused with this is a kindness with I think this is a kindness for you, not you. Like. Yeah. What happens when the oh, yeah, power when it, dynamic it's, it's, of decision making switches from yeah. volunteerism into "I know better than you"? Well, yeah. that's a, that's a that's a giant fear. You could <clears throat> you could say, "Oh, you are not mentally capable of making this decision for yeah. yourself because you are not of this IQ. You are mm-hmm. not of this mental mental and this level of conscientiousness. You are this level of neuroticism. You're this level of bipolar disorder." Well, that brings where's up, that line? That like, brings something up, like. When I when I asked a, I asked a, a JW about this, right? I po- mm-hmm. a really nice guy uh, came to the door. Gets a short straw going to my house, but um, <laughs> yeah, the biker on the neighborhood, great. Uh, I invite them in and I offer them. I am actually really nice to that guy. Like I'm a diehard atheist, but like you know what? I I can respect someone that goes door to door and tries to make life better. I had posed him this question about the maid thing. I said. So, like, what's the religious front on this right now? Because I grew up in a Baptist church, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I've been yeah. in a church for 20 years. I did missions. I did all kinds of stuff, right? Teen work, that sort of thing. So, I get it. And I asked him, like, aren't you guys outraged by this? And the guy just kind of shrugged his shoulders and like, oh, what can you do? 
The whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, that's, that's the thing with the JWs. They they see it coming. The world's going to hell. Jesus is coming back, and this is proof that he's coming back. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It is the it's a self-fulfilling know, in, prophecy. In, it's in, like, in, oh. in my mind, that's one of those things where you got to be really careful about your theology because if your view is it's all kindling anyway, then, well, that's a depressing look. That's a narcissist. It, <laughs> or like, not, not, sorry, a, a nihilistic. Nihilistic. Yeah, it's right. like you can have this 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 religious nihilism basically, where you're like, that's eh, all kindling anyway. Way, just you know, let let her buck, and and you know those of us that are chosen are, are good to go. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile. Yeah. Meanwhile, I mean, like it's that's horrible. I mean, that's like the worst faith way to describe but, it. But it is a horrible but, ultimate theology. Yes, but I didn't that, even that's not get just that. It's the the Bible says that uh, all that was right will be called wrong, and all that was wrong will be called right. This, the Bible says that it would happen, and now look at what's happening. They're oh, letting yeah. little kids decide that they're boys or girls, and they're letting they're like, "Oh, you're sad. Here, take this." Yeah, and I, I, you know, I hate to say it, like Canada right now as a whole is is a joke on this topic. Well, yeah, I mean, there's like it's like any any issue you can think of, like our current government and in all honesty like our kind of country ethos is like whatever you say is the most progressive version of it we're all in yeah except like it, it, it's like it's like without discrimination <laughs> like, yeah so, yeah as long as you're white unless you're white <laughs> yeah yeah well like here, here's some here's some facts luxembourg switzerland spain belgium colombia the netherlands new zealand and australia um all have uh an equivalent to the maid program white mm-hmm. countries right Okay, Colombia. <laughs> oh, right. Oh. Right, so okay, colonized. Uh, so, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> like all those countries have a similar program. Yeah. Right now, like some other facts: Luxembourg, Swiss, Switzerland, Spain, and Canada. Uh, if you're terminally ill, yes, you are okay to go into these programs. Right. That same list. Canada is the only one that said yes to mentally ill. And in fact, when you talk to the professionals in those countries, they have looked at our paperwork and our layout of the program with some very, like, concern. Yeah. Kind of, like, that seems a little loose. That seems a little much. Like, you know, uh, maybe you should put some more thought into this before you do this. Because, you know, like we just said, 30, was it, like 31,000? Canadians have been processed through this program. Charlie and I call it getting made. Yeah, like, like the good mafia. fellas. Yeah, like yeah, you I just got made. You know, and, I, and like that's that sounds terrible, and I apologize. But it's like thirty-one thousand. Like Dawson Creek is like thirteen thousand people. Yeah, and last year ten thousand people went through that. Like you wouldn't notice that yeah. many people going missing in a given area, but because we spread it across an entire country. And because this is getting carried out in hospitals, old age homes, care centers, where you and I don't go through the door every day of the week. <laughs> right? Like, Ever. You imagine, like, I, I've had this experience. I was in Fort Mac working on the Boilermaker crew, right? This was, uh, I think, a week before uh, they declared a state of emergency from COVID, right? Ken and I were working, and uh, big crews, like, you know, you're, you're dealing with, like, a manpower of over 7,000 men, yeah. right? So you're working in a crew of over 40 guys standing shoulder to shoulder. And, you know, one day you just start noticing guys are going missing. And you're like, has anyone seen Charles? Has anyone seen Chuck? Where's, 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 where's Tammy? Right? Like, 
where are all these people going? And then I got a tap on the shoulder from another guy. He said, they they got COVID checked and they turned out positive. They threw him on a bus and drove him to Edmonton. I'm like, well, did they grab their stuff? And he says, no. They literally grabbed him, threw him on a bus, and they were gone that hour. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what happens on the other end? He says, they quarantined for two weeks and then they turn them loose with whatever they had on them. I'm like, what if they left their wallet and their phone and everything at camp? And he says, that's yeah. their problem. Yeah, you're shit out of luck. You're shit out of luck. And, yeah. and like that that mentality scares me. Like, yeah, like that, that is a very unnerving feeling. Because, <clears throat> I mean, like when you're on, you guys can attest to this. You work on job sites with other guys. You would be worried if your coworker didn't show up one morning. Yeah. You'd be like, hey. And your first sentence, hey, is everything okay? Yeah, like that's, I've mm-hmm. had phone calls like, hey, are, where are you? Like, I'm like, oh, I'm sick in bed. He's oh, thank God. You know, I had one time the boss is like, uh, we thought you'd gone a motorcycle accident. Like, we were legitimately concerned. We didn't yeah. see you. You know, like, your bike isn't out front and your truck's just parked there. We kind of thought the worst. Yeah. So, like, after experiencing that for half a week or so, yeah. my buddy and I abandoned the job. Like, he, he said, they ain't taking me alive. Right? Oh, yeah. And he, he's a violent dude. That guy would just fight his way right to... Like he said, like if you get a text mail saying truck now, that means leave your stuff in your room, leave whatever you're doing and get to the truck because I've obviously broke a few arms, you know, and I'm like, (laughs) oh boy, like I just dreaded that moment. So we snuck Mm -hmm. out of Fort Mac and just ran for it. Like he put both, he was doing 140 the whole way from Fort Mac back to Dawson. One blitz, just gone. But like that kind of experience really changes your mindset. Like. Yeah. Well, it, it shows you exactly how far your country is willing to go to isolate. So, or, to, to, yeah. to or to do stuff for the deal. greater good. Yeah. The greater if good, they're going to yeah. pull that kind of Stalinistic kind of approach to something like as bad as a chest cold, I mean, like, what are they going to do yeah. with a is, legal... Is it that much more of a leap to see them start to make decisions like what Germany was doing with the, what do you call it? Akon T4. Yeah, the T4 program. Yeah. Like, is it that... Far of a stretch. Far of a stretch. Well, on that, like, I, I'll be honest. Like, uh, I don't want to say exactly her name or how she's related to me, but a woman who I am extremely close to. Mm-hmm. Um, she wound up like I mean, she's mom, right? She's one of her pregnancies. Um, this little girl, who is a perfect, beautiful, awesome, healthy little girl. The doctors said after one of the checkups. You're showing markers that this may be Down syndrome kid. Okay. And they're like, so when do you want the abortion? Yeah. Like, yeah. right then, boom. Yeah. Like, because of a deficiency. A possible. <laughs> a possible, possible. That did not play fucking out. No, yeah. it didn't. And it, that's the thing. Like, the things that they said would be happening, these are not actual markers anymore. Yes. They were fucking lying. They are aborting children over it. Okay. I'm right? Fucking, like, so... Yeah, and I get and I get that. Like, ooh. I used to work with special needs as a teenager. Like, at 14 years old, mm-hmm. I got to go work in uh, a summer camp working with special needs adults and children. And I mean, everything from Down syndrome to cerebral palsy, fragile X. I, as a teenager, like you imagine being 14 years old yeah. and changing yeah, yeah, diapers yeah. on someone your size, right? Like, yeah, there were the, yeah. it's like, I, I, I did some work you, with, with like 16, 17 year old kids and I was yeah. 14. Yeah. And so I'm like, like, these, these were adults. Yeah. yeah. And I was, but I was it, you know, it's, them. it's easy to think like, okay, we'll take care of that problem while it's still in utero. But that mentality 
is already there to start solving some of these problems on society's behalf. Yeah, yep. but it, like looking at it as a and your your behalf. Like this, and it's not just society; it's your behalf as well. You don't you don't want the hardship of taking care of a kid yeah. that could, and, and you don't want them to live like that either. Oh yeah, yeah, it's for them. Fuck that. But like you know, like the on that note, like I worked with special needs for an organization called Amasa. Now that doesn't stand for anything. That's just okay. an old old word, and it just means burden bearer. Okay. Okay. Um, th- it was run by a really shoestring budget crew. Uh, it was a family called the Kinos. They ran it. Um, I was a really angry punk kid, and John, the director, uh, looked at me and said, that kid is going to end up in a ditch face down if nobody does <laughs> something. And his wife said, well, then why don't you do something and hire him? Right? Like, you know, and he was stuck with me for five years. Right? It was the only job I was naturally good at. Like, I was, j- I hit the ground running. I can work with special needs like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was really happy to do it. And I don't, l- like, that experience really profoundly changed my outlook on life. I don't look at a Down syndrome person like, oh, well, you're just a, an Elmer Fudd, you know, that came to life sort of thing. No, I don't they're beautiful people. Beautiful people. And they'll change, they'll melt you. Like, you let them grow on you. They'll, like, they'll change you so how much. How much joy oh my is God. in the like their eyes and their expression yeah. and their experience of life just to say like ah no you're not even even this seeing is for the, I defy even seeing any, the mad makes you like just giggle a little yeah I defy yeah. anybody to spend a week with one special needs person and don't and, think that they're having a better time than you are yeah are. like go bowling with them I, I promise you, you'll never have more laughs than that they'll waste you on the on the lanes <laughs> I mean it is embarrassingly fun and it's it, it's totally worth doing. Like you know, um, one of the things I took from that, like I I started when I was fourteen, and I basically went to the end of high school. Yeah. And uh, old John, you'd like him. He's he's an old, uh, like logger, fisherman, like crazy wild man. Like he lived in Nanaimo back in like the seventies and the eighties. Oh. Like he was Ooh. crazy. He could give like Sluggy a run for his money. Really? Yeah. And that says that's up some stiff competition. Yeah. Give and Sluggy a run for his money and crazy old biker. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and John, like he taught me how to how to do everything. He taught me how to change diapers. Taught me how to cook, clean. Um, uh, pff, you know how to fight. Like he was he was a great guy. And at the end of it, the take home from him was: now that you've gone down this path, you're going to see a need for protection of these people. Right? They are the most vulnerable. And societies are judged by how we treat the least of us, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Now, like we, we we absolutely crap on Nazi Germany because look what they did. Yeah. How, the how, how, how is anyone going to look at us any better, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, my fear is that this program gets out of hand, and it doesn't take a, a like a history genius to see the correlations and be like, hey guys, like red flag. Hence why we're here. Is yeah. uh, this like if anyone can take anything from this is like. Open your eyes, read a history book, look at what's actually going on, and just start the conversation about it. Talk to your coworkers, your friends, your loved ones, your med- your MP, whatever. Like, um, just bring it up. I mean, because no one's talking about this. I couldn't get anybody to talk about this like four months ago, right? And I just I got mad one day and called Dustin. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, this grinds my gears. And he's like, I know two guys you should talk to. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it yeah. does. It's I, I'm trying to be even keeled about it. 
this is really such difficult. A, it's such a somber thing to talk about, but it really does upset me, and it seems evil. It it, it just, to me it just it, it's it's just evil. I I can't think There's of a no better other word. There's no better word than evil. Like, you know, like you know, Christians we make a lot of noise about pro lifeness for you know unborn children and stuff like that, and we fucking should. But we also should stand up for people that are all that are that are here. Yeah, you like, know, and like I, it's I defy people to say, oh, I, I I care about this issue. I'm like, cool, go go spend some time with an elderly person, right? I'm in the adopt adopt a senior program. Marge mm. is 80 years old. She lives up the street. I should get her on the podcast. She's a gem. She'd out cuss, swear, and scream <laughs> at you. Guys. Does she drink whiskey? Oh, I wish. <laughs> I want to get an old person. Oh my goodness! Really and you know what? I want to like, get that old person racism that, out. Like, that is I love a it. that is a piece of advice that I took to heart when I was a young teenager, which was surround yourself with elders, like yeah. befriend an old person. And I've done many over the years. The, the, most of them have died, unfortunately. But no, I that, mean, that that is the downside. That of is not, it old gives people. you, but it does change your perspective on things because if you're if you're befriending people in their in their the winter of their lives, you're going to see a. a a side of them that will remind you why it was worth living in the first place. Yeah, you know, yeah. and maybe for all you know, you're you're providing some work for them in their old age and loneliness. Like, you know, like well, I, you, the, the the amount you get out of it is unbelievable. You think you're doing it for them? No, you're gonna get just as much, if not more, out of it. They they get they do get something. I'm not gonna say they don't because the those programs are very uh, underutilized and. People don't do it. People don't visit their own grandparents. Um, I didn't get to see my grandfather as much as I'd like to yeah. uh, shortly before he passed away. But having those times with my kids, bringing them there, my kids still love my grandfather up until the day that he died. And, yeah, it was the same thing of just getting to go see him and having these programs in place. Because, uh, you, you know, there's a famous Orwellian quote, like, whoever controls the past controls the future. Well, your past is these elders that are sitting alone and they're targeted by these kind of programs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, they're your memory. There's an African proverb that says, when an old man dies, a library burns to the ground. Ooh, that's good. Like, you, you come, like, like, they're, they're, like, I was really fortunate starting out in trades. I worked in a museum. I'm not kidding. Like, that's mm -hmm. where I, my welding started, was in a museum. Wow. Fixing ancient logging equipment, locomotives, steam equipment, like stuff like a hundred years old, yeah. right? And the staff <laughs> were entirely senior citizens. They they called they called you the young guy until you hit fifty, <laughs> right? They had got, got they had ten years. <laughs> yeah, they had like like four or five hundred years of experience just standing around. Yeah, and as a young person, I was sitting there just fascinated by them. Yeah. They had all this, all this knowledge and all this wisdom to pass forward. I mean, here this program is targeting these people, and we should be like preserving them and cherishing them and and writing this stuff down. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's for us. Like, I mean, you're you're speaking directly to me. You're speaking directly to Mike. You're speaking directly to anybody who's of here of sound body and mind and and needs to invest some care in the marginalized around us, what would you say to somebody who is in the midst of suffering, somebody who is a candidate for MAID? Don't give up. Like, um, 
I, I have dealt with a lot of people that were down in the dumps and, you know, buying them a coffee, taking them out for a meal was the, the tipping point to save them, right? If, if you're down in the dumps and if you need someone to talk to, pick up the phone. There's, there's a suicide helpline for anybody out there. You know, um, if you don't know it, it's one eight three three four five six four five six six, and we'll, we'll post it in our show notes too. It's Talk Suicide Canada. If you're down in the dumps, like I like, if you if you get one thing from this podcast, pick up the phone, like and talk. Right? Call it. Call a buddy. I, call call a friend. You know, like I was 26 when I went into counseling for the first time, and man, that changed my life. And I really do got to say, there's something to be said for investing into a community. Yeah. Okay, Dawson Creek has one of the best car communities out there. Unbelievable. Like, you you get a car, they constantly have these meetups. Yep. Motorcycle. You want to get attention? Get an Indian motorcycle. I'm sorry. Harley's Conversation way started. Especially too much. if you're old. You Indian motorcycles are it. old guy bait like nothing else. Yeah. 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 And, you know, even old young guys <laughs> love the Indians. And even young guys gravitate to them over a Harley any day. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, like I'm because a diehard, I'm a diehard metric guy like you guys. Like, I just, I love those things because they're just so cheap and you just don't, <laughs> don't care. Too loud. <laughs> <laughs> I am just, I, um, I love motorcycles and oh, I have a metric because they're cheap. Oh, they're so cheap. <laughs> No, and, and you can ride the piss out. But you don't even have to ride it. You just get it, get it in a parking lot, stand near it for about 15 to 20 minutes. You'll have some, especially if you get an Indian, yeah. you'll have somebody come out of the woodwork and be like, hey, is that an Indian motorcycle? You want to be a friend? about the yeah. bike. Yeah. <laughs> learn to work on bikes, you get a lot of friends. And, I, and I, will, learn... I will give you this. You will never see a motorcycle parked outside of a therapist's office. Unless it's the therapist himself riding Yeah, it. but you know what? You We're lucky. <laughs> We oh, have what we call group therapy, which is, hey guys, uh, let's go for a ride. Yeah, yeah. And if you're depressed or you're 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 a young guy under the age of thirty and you want some meaning for your life, get on a bike, oh. hit the highway. I promise you, oh, dude, you will run into someone just like you. Right? Yeah. He might be twenty, thirty years. Like Charlie is fifty one, and I'm thirty four, and yeah. we're bros. Like. I watched this really great Man. movie on uh, Prime. I don't remember what it was called, but it had this guy. He got a motorcycle when his wife or his fiance really wouldn't want him to oh, get yeah, one. Oh, yeah, I know that And one. he was dying. He got cancer or something mm-hmm. like that. And he went on the adventure of a lifetime. The adventure of a lifetime is not just sitting and suffering. It is oh. going out and doing yeah. something that terrifies you. And he rode across Canada. Like, yeah, like take, take that... Take that remind, yeah, take that reminder of your impending death to do something of meaning. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, there's like a Japanese, you know, art of taking pottery, breaking it, and putting it back together. It, yeah. You know, like, there's beauty in the broken. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, Mother Teresa, like, her whole life, and I know, like, Hitchens, like, gave her nothing but shit for this of his whole career, but her whole life was about looking for people who are destitute and suffering and trying to put them back together. Well, just give them a dignified end of their life. Even if it was in really squalid, you know, situations in, in awful places of the world, there's some moment of care, of tenderness, of motherhood. And like, as far as she was concerned, they ministered to her more than anything else. And and that's, and to the people that worked there. And, and honestly, like even in, in their in their suffering, like there's moments of strength, mm-hmm. of beauty, 
of, of, of overcoming in little ways. Like you can't know, even in your, if you're going through an awful time, and this is easy for me to say now as a 35 year old healthy adult, Sure, but sure. there's something that you do are that is worth existing mm-hmm. and will it will change somebody's life. Like you, you yourself, no matter what, going through what you're going through is going to be a grace for somebody. Yeah. And it's like, you're going to change somebody's fucking life. You know what? Like there's like a prime example. I did this, uh, speaking of sluggy again, you know, his old, his old, uh, Harley there, that nice thing with all the flames on her, right? The sled. The sled. Yeah. Yeah. That thing's infamous. You know, like I was at a, a show and this little boy walked up to it and you know, Kids are told, don't touch the guy's bike, you know, like, don't sit on it, don't do this, that. And I saw Sluggy there just eyeing this kid up, like, don't you touch that bike. And I said, hey, kid, come here. And I picked him up and I dropped him on that thing in front of him. <laughs> Sluggy's like, I hate you so much. And I'm like, you just made that kid's day. You know yeah. that? Like, You want you want to make a kid's day? Put him on your bike. Like, let him get on your bike that's, and rev your motor. That's like, just, why. And, like, turn it on and let him just turn that throttle a little bit. You, yeah, you just created an addict. Yeah, right. You just there. want to get on a You, you want to yeah. stop the <laughs> drug <laughs> pandemic in this country? Teach your children a love of motorcycles, and they'll never be able to afford drugs. No, <laughs> like that's that's it. Like you know, like uh, like if, I, they, if they can do both, well, well sorry. Yeah, and at least they, you know they work hard. You know, right. like <laughs> they are contributing to society. And here's here's to the metric cruiser guys. Every time you see a kid, pick them up, let them stand on your gas tank, scratch the crap out of that thing, and let them rev the living daylights out of that V twenty of yours. Yeah, I never yeah. want a bike that's too nice that like no. I'd be mad at the kid scratching the tank. Right? I like, can't do it. Like, like I like oh I like my bike looking clean. I like it, but why? It's I like it being like relatively clean, but I never go. My bike sits in front of my house. Yeah. All summer. I got people that are like, I can't believe you let your bike sit outside. I'm like, that's not an idol to me. That is a tool. That is a great fun toy. Yeah. But it's not an idol. It's not so pristine and beautiful that I'm worried. I'm thinking about it constantly. I'm worried about uh, somebody stealing it. No. No, it's a metric. No one wants to steal it. Yeah. And it's got the best anti-theft device of known to man. You want, you, you want a funny story about bikes and like cleanliness and whatnot? So there, there's, like, Sluggy, who's like, worships his Harleys, right? You know, yeah. short of putting them in the living room, and he has thought about it. I'm sure he's um, done it back I built him day. a ramp, and I told his wife uh, that, was like, oh, yeah. She's like, oh, that's nice. It'll make access to the house easier. I'm like, yeah, we'll get that Harley in there in no time. And she just lost it. <laughs> uh, she would, She too. would, too. Real pistol, that lady. Um, but, like, you know, MJ got me into bikes. He taught me everything I know. Right, I knew nothing when I started riding with the boys. Like I knew nothing. I like Sluggy yeah. looked at me and said, "I don't want nothing to do with you. You're riding a 750 Shadow girl bike. Like just, just absolutely want." He wanted nothing to it do is, with me. It is a yeah. horrible motor. It I is. hate that. Oh the man, 750, 750 gutless, right? But damn, do they run forever? You can't kill. You them. cannot kill them. <laughs> and if you straight pipe them, they sound like a Harley 883. No, <laughs> they, they sound don't great. Go like an 883. They don't. They don't. They're t- they, they they sound the part till you get past third gear, <laughs> and then, then they lose, lose, lose. But like I remember, MJ and I went to Fort St. John here, picked up a, a new bike for him because his other one was just toast, and he bought this thing for like two grand or something like that, some measly token, and it was like yep. the, the, it was just falling apart. He brought it right to my place, and I actually had to take the grinder out of his hand because MJ can't have anything nice. <laughs> 
He was going, he was literally going to take the paint off that tank with like an angle grinder off a welding <laughs> truck. I'm like, no, no, no. And we stripped that thing basically to a frame and a set of fenders. Is that and the one he's got now? That's the that, one he's that got. That thing looks oh, little Frankenstein. You know like what? It. He loves it. He loves it because you hate it so much. Oh, I love when people hate oh my, my shit. Oh, my God. He, he, live, like, he, he pulls up beside cruisers, like guys on Harleys. He's got his dirt bike helmet on, his like, like with the visor he's punk on rock. it. He's, he's punk, punk rock. He's punk rock it, to a T. And he pulls up to guys on their shining, you know, glorified gold wings and Harleys, and, and they, they just need a technic shot just looking at that thing. And they want him to go away, and he won't. He does <laughs> it He does it to torment them, and it, it's so much fun to ride with. Like, he's just drives these people nuts. And, I bet. And you know what? Like, I, I tell him, MJ, don't ever change. I love right. you just the way you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... If you're out there, get involved with the community. If you don't know what to do and you just feel like there's no other options, look at what good you can do in the world. Like, honestly, how much good can you do with your life? If you don't feel like you can do any anything, <clears throat> go talk to somebody. Talk to somebody less fortunate than you. Mm-hmm. Talk to somebody who's actually been through some shit, gone to war. Talk to a veteran that actually seen some things. You might be going through some hardship, and it is probably real. Mm-hmm. But guaranteed there's somebody else who's been through it like you. Yeah. And remember, none of us are getting out of here alive. No. You're going to die anyways. But you, we don't, are, none of us are getting out. Don't so you, let the government set your terms. Yeah. Like, Fuck them. Y- you got one shot. Like, like if all goes well. <laughs> you only had one shot. One opportunity. <coughs> You're right. Sorry, I'm quoting Eminem lyrics. There you go. Right? (laughs) Love that that candy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, like, if you you got one shot, like, you know, I hate to say it, but, like, you know, they say, oh, you'll only live once. Like, wrong. You live every day. You only die once. Yeah. Well, if you're lucky. If you're lucky. If if you got to do it twice, it's like, sorry. Man. Uh, Yeah. With that, like, it's good having you on, man. Do you Uh, mind if I do something super pretentious? Fucking... Ever. Yeah, you no, just, you know you, I am super yeah, you're pretentious. You're gonna do this. <laughs> I always do shit like this. All right, I actually want to read a poem. <laughs> I've waited my whole life for this. <laughs> this is why we can't be called blue oh, collar anymore. We're gonna change anymore. it soon. Don't worry, I will not think of less of you of this. Okay, well, I'm lying. This <laughs> this right. poem always right. always struck with me. I, I I learned it in high school, but what really sold it for me is like the comedic relief in the movie The Rundown, starring The Rock. That's a fuck. I watched that it. recently. Oh, no. I watched that. Okay, before you read your poem, should I do uh, it in an Aussie accent like yes, the in the movie? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> or <But> Scottish? <laughs> no, Aussie. All uh, the before way. that, because well, I just want to kick off after this and just yeah. like say uh, say first, thank you, Ben, for coming on. I really do appreciate it. I'm pretty sure we're going to do this again eventually. And um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Something will grind my gears. I'll be back. You'll be back. All Hell right. Yeah. Cool. Hopefully it'll be a little less somber of a topic. I'll, you know what? Next time get Dusty to pick it and I'll get angry quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, yeah, go ahead. All right. All right, mate. Don't go gently into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage. Rage against the dying of the light, mate. The wise men at their end know dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning. They did not go gentle into that good night, mate. Good men, the last wave by, crying now, bright. Their frail deeds may have danced in the green bay, 
but rage, rage, rage against the dying of the light. <laughs> Wild men, mate, who caught and sang in the sun of flight and learned too late, they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight. Blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage! Rage! Against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Alright, guys, God bless. Don't be a dick. Thank you to Kirk the Riffer Wells for the Liquid State Audio, the music stuff. Guitarist, producer, mixing engineer, thank you from the Blue Collar Philosophers.